Bring. Well, that bell is the sound of another podcast. That's how I sounded a bit weary then. I'm not weary. Hugh, are you going to sit still? No. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. There's only, one, there's only one person that makes loads of noise, on loads of sort of background noise on this podcast. And all I'm saying is it's not me or H. Hmm, Paul man, he was noisy, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> if I'm working at mum and dad's, though, I th- the chair that I have to sit on there is, yeah. it sounds like I'm in a haunted house, because every time <laughs> I move, it just goes, <laughs> like that. And yesterday, when we were doing our planning session, you clearly had the window open. Oh, yes. <laughs> which was, um, which was, <laughs> how oh, was it? Oh, it's like you were cycling. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, there we go. Closed it. Oh, no, you don't have... Oh, oh well. Seeing as it's gone positively autumnal today. Oh, good grief. Yes, it has, isn't mm. it? Right. Shall we get on with it? Let's do it. You're listening to The Real Reading Podcast. I'm Hugh Fort. I'm Rachel Nemeth. And I'm Tom Canning. And welcome to episode 108 of the Real Reading Podcast. Like us on Twitter at Real Reading Pod and search Real Reading Podcast Group to join us on Facebook. Uh, this week we discuss the week in headlines, which includes the most objected to plan in Reading's history. Um, I don't know if we know the previous most objected to plan, but we shall find out. Um, panic buying is back. Um, the thing that we thought we could all do without oh, is, is back. Uh, and also um, Ridley Scott's Alien film, uh, which uh, saw you make a bit of a local link discovery, didn't it, Hugh? Indeed, yes. Yes, that's, uh, that got me very excited. Excellent. That's all I needed, just the confirmation. Let's not give it all away too early. Um, as well as that, uh, we speak to John Luther, who is the Artistic Director at South Street Art Centre, uh, about what's in store for the centre and Reading as a whole. Um, we did. We were supposed to speak to John last week. Um, various things got in the way, and I had to hastily re-edit the podcast last week which is why it was very very late in the day before you all received it um, but John is on this week and that is all recorded and we're all ready to go on that so that is that is good news um Rach what are you drinking there oh very rock and roll orange squash oh classic it looks very weak with loads of vodka in it or something <laughs> no no <laughs> just not. orange squash the perks of home working yeah, yeah. It's, it's nine minutes past 11 rach i feel even, it makes me more productive even for you that's early <laughs> makes you a better driver <laughs> oh. you've got to get past oh. the yard arm at 12 <laughs> surely before we crack open a, a drink Ah, oh dear um okay in the meantime here is jeremy if you want to complain about hugh encouraging dangerous drinking drink driving um here's jeremy with how you can get in touch with the team 
email hello at realreadingpodcast.co.uk. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at realreadingpod and join our Facebook group by searching Real Reading Podcast. Thank you, Jeremy. Please direct all complaints to Jeremy himself. Yes, uh, he will. He will deal with them in his little room. Um, so last week, uh, our little piece here after Jeremy's in Jeremy's uh, uh, how you can contact us included a small section on how I was excited that there were loads of uh, spray painted markings on the road outside my house, and we spent a good ten minutes discussing uh, how this would probably mean that the road was going to be resurfaced, and it might cause problems with um, any sort of hospital visits that may or may not be due in the next short period of time. Well, I am uh, pleased to say that despite getting so excited about all of that. Uh, it was just so they could put some yellow lines down on the road. So that was thoroughly uh, your, your general interest in that in that link was um, uh, about as strong as my disappointment uh, that there was going to be no. Yeah, that you thought there was going to be diggers and all sorts yeah. coming down. Some lovely and JCBs, you know that kind of thing. Just a person um, with a pot of paint. Yeah, it's not the same, is it? No, it's not. It's exactly not. And and what I thought was quite funny was they they've they've put all of these now new double yellow lines on uh, on various parts of the road that I live on. And and on the on the night after they arrived, uh, someone parked directly over them on the corner, like they always do, ignoring that they were even there. So you know, business as usual in Southgate. Yeah. <laughs> um. Now. Uh, a couple of other things we just wanted to get into very briefly. I went to the Blue Collar Street Food Market on Saturday and well, on Saturday night, but it was on Saturday and Sunday. Um, we had a good interview with with Glenn Dinning from Blue Collar Street Food a couple of weeks ago, which is well worth a listen. Uh, and I'm I'm pleased to tell you guys it was really really good. Oh, what did you have? Uh, I had a bit of everything. They did some lovely little taster menus. Um, there was a couple of burger places. Uh, there was a waffle truck, the waffle truck that was the Saturday night winner. Um, mm. The Sunday winner was uh, called Pabalon, but I must confess I haven't researched to find out what it was they did, but but well done to them. Uh, there was also, what did I have? I had some sort of, like some, some rib taco, a rib taco, that was it. Uh, and what else? There, there, was, there was a number of things. Um, masala fries, which were, were interesting were interesting they weren't quite as as uh, good as i as i was hoping they were going to be but it was so just fries with mas masala spice on them. yes it was masala spice rather than uh, masala sauce <laughs> <laughs> oh you can have chips and gravy can't you so <laughs> well yeah exactly with masala sauce. i was kind of hoping for, for a masala sauce chip that was what i was i think that's what i was looking for but then whether that wanted what, a little dip in pot yeah so it, it was already good social distancing was well observed uh, and um, yeah, it was it was it was just good fun, and it was. Did you get to judge? Uh, well, I mean, surprisingly, after my efforts as a pickled onion judge, uh, I, I I was. Yeah, I mean, not... you're basically a pro now. Well, yeah, you know, I, but I, I wasn't like called Lloyd Grossman standards. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't called upon as sort of head judge or anything like that. But everybody did have a voting slip, so in a way, yes, I I was I was a judge. But I, I so was everyone else. Yeah, exactly. There, <laughs> there was no sort of hierarchy to the Takes judge. Takes the shine off, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, no kind of judging hierarchy, which I thought was uh, was lacking. And, and you know, and, and you know, if there's a man for the job, then 
I, you know, I'm here. I've got experience. Well, it would be you. Yeah. Well, but, it would, yeah. I mean, they I mean, needed a head judge, a Len Goodman, if you will. That's a yeah. free large you. judge. <laughs> <laughs> now there's a LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Hello, Reading Crown Court. Any cases? I'm, I'm a judge. <laughs> uh, what would my rider be? It would just be um, like just pickled onion monster munch, I think. <laughs> Your rider. That's I'd have. Pretty <laughs> large judge. An ale, <laughs> yes, and a couple of cans of, uh, of delicious double barreled and a bag of pickled onion monster munch. Oh, come on, you come are not on. a complicated man. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hugh, I know you also just wanted to briefly talk about um, internet comments. Yeah, it moves on quite nicely. Um, Does it? Because it's always related. To, it's also related to food, and I'd like to begin by asking you two a question. Yes. Do either of you know what an on is? No. On Dave, is yeah. it like a, isn't it a leafy thing, like a lettuce or something? Very good, Rachel. Oh, yeah. You know, if I say chicory to you, peas or ham, smoked what? ham. Chicory, no, it's a leafy vegetable. Oh, chicory smoked. Yeah, I, did, I just said hickory that. Smoke. The other one. Hickory, hickory, hickory smoked ham. Dickory dock, right? Yes, <laughs> hickory smoked ham. That's what I'm thinking of. I still don't know what chicory. Go on in. So it's it's a leaf basically. Yep. It's a bit it's bitter, a bitter leaf you have in, in salads and stuff like that. So the context of this is I was invited to go to the corn stores in in Reading, which has rebranded itself. It started off as a steakhouse, um, and it's rebranded itself to do fine dining mm. from oh, its nice. location in a slap bang in the middle of Reading Town Centre. Um, we went there. We had a we had a fine dining meal, um, and I wrote a review. Of, said meal and my review was picked up by a section of twitter i can do the uh describe as the foodie community the foodie twitter community who were somewhat unkind about it shall we say so okay so this this chap picked it up and tweeted it saying i think i found the worst restaurant review review anyone's ever written about my particular... Um, Clearly never read my TGI Friday review. <laughs> <laughs> Most read review of 2017. So, um, I'm not going to lie, the going out for a fine dining experience is not... Um, you know, I wasn't entirely in my comfort zone. Um, like, for example, the... I don't know if you two have ever... Have you done... You've done much fine dining, but I've, I found <laughs> it, my limited experience... You often find a choice of a couple of things on the fine dining menu, and you look at both of them and you think, don't like the sound of either of those, but you have to have one because it's your starter. <laughs> so, um, because well, they're generally, they're quite often things you wouldn't normally eat. No, it's not, it's not unusual. No, like, nothing, I don't even know if I like that. <laughs> yeah, nothing on You sometimes come across things like on these where you don't even know what they are, and um, you come across <laughs> things you'd never have at home. I mean, that's the, that's the whole point of fine dining, and um. Hmm. I did the uh, review in a sort of style, making it quite clear that um, you know this wasn't me in my at my in my comfort zone, and uh, it was actually a very nice meal. Generally, it's very well cooked, very well made, and very well thought of. And a lot of the things you look at, like hay ice cream, for example, we had um, was delicious. And uh, what hay hay ice cream? Yeah, hay like a horse would eat. Apparently, yeah. Apparently mm -hmm. so. Okay. 
and it was delicious um and generally the meal was very very clever and very um uh, very well done and the chef there is clearly very talented um but the reaction from this this foodie community was kind of there was a lot of hoity high sort of hoity toity sneering going on um and I, i'd like to thank everyone who came to our website and read the review because it, it it's done a lot of lovely page views which are always very helpful um but i i've i felt initially that, that people were being were being a bit nasty about it and then then i kind of realized i started reading through reading through some of the tweets and there one one person had picked out another article i'd written about the fat duck being named in maidenhead it's been named one of the best restaurants in the world like it always is i'd written a little story on that and somebody said he's written this story without even going to the fat duck <laughs> assuming that i hugh thought have the journalistic power just to stick my head around the door and say all right Eston, uh, any chance of the 11 course taster <laughs> sit down in the corner and just be waited upon like it's, i'm some sort of superstar rather than having to join the 18 month waiting list like the rest of the world um and so i just wanted to kind of talk about the uh, some of the some things which occasionally happen when you put when uh when you put things out there onto the internet and there were a lot of these sort of independent food blogger types being very kind of, oh, it doesn't know what an on div is, or, uh, you know, it's like, I'm not a food critic. I don't profess to be a food critic. I went out for a meal and I did my very best to try to get across what the uh, place in Reading is trying to do, the vibe of the place. Um, mm. It's a very brave venture for them to introduce fine dining to somewhere like Reading Town Centre. And I very much wish them the best because uh, they've got some very talented people working there. But it was, um, it was a, uh, slightly does it hurt uh, your feelings a little bit <laughs> you sound a little bit wounded a bit I, I was initially a little bit wounded um but the more kind of pompous that the, the uh, i was keeping quite a close up eye on the thread on twitter about what people were saying it became more and more pompous and more and more these sort of food blogger types were joining in and having their own little sneer these, these people do their their, uh, their reviews as a hobby so they go and have their meal on a friday night and spend spend two or three days constructing their reviews and uh and uh able to write sort of four or five thousand words on it well i wonder how they would get on if they were to go and cover yes, a serious I, yes they've all got uh, a few of them have got copies of reading reading borough council's audit and governance agendas coming in the post just i'm, I'm just <laughs> going to ask them how they how they find that and what sort of writing they can do based upon that mm. so uh, right it's Shall very we... easy over the internet anonymously or sort of yeah. a bit incognito. Nearly all of them are anonymous, yeah. yeah. I think I think largely, Hugh, what you are suggesting is that perhaps you weren't writing for the foodie community, you were writing for the audience of Berkshire Live. Is that fair to say? Correct. Yes, I was trying to write a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek type review of something that I was out of my comfort zone, analysing how something like that might work in Reading and occasionally came across a few aspects of the uh the world of fine dining that i didn't really understand and i was making fun of myself for not understanding it because i'm an ignorant boy for who grew up in west berkshire so fair enough should we move back into you recognize zone? that <laughs> should, we, should we move back into your comfort zone hugh yes okay it's time to talk about the news
Rach, I enjoy watching you twiddle your, your hair like this. Your hair is already curly enough, surely. Sorry. I know. Sorry. <laughs> oh, every week, you're picking on my hair. Last week, my head scarf. Now it's because I'm just twiddling it. <laughs> I'm really not sure about the colour. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Ditto, um, Hugh. It's got a lovely shade of grey. 50, yeah. 50, yeah. <laughs> Hugh, I want to find out uh, a bit about. Um, we, we kind of we're talking about it again. I, sometimes I, I do I do worry that we we go over these things several several times. But um, there, there's a little bit of a, a point of note here. The um, plans for Reading Golf Course have become the most object to objected to in the town's history. Um, I think my my earlier question, Hugh, do you know what the previous record holder was? No. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> I'm afraid, I don't. I, I don't think they keep records of um i don't think they've got a chart on the wall in the uh, planning department <laughs> running council but um, a couple of people from the the uh, campaign group keep evergreen um, did say to me that people from the council said that it's one of our one of if not the most objected to uh, application ever so in terms of official statistics there aren't any but certainly it's, there's a big a big uh response to it I would, I would happily, happily see either a live league table uh, of most objected to uh, planning applications uh, on the on the Reading Borough Council website. I think that's absolutely. I, I would be quite happy for some of my taxes to go towards developing that. Fifty um, one hundred. Yes, exactly. And perhaps have a have a outside like on the on the town hall building, maybe like a, you know on the Reuters building, and they have like the the live um, uh, ticket. Yeah. The ticker that goes along I'd, I'd like to something like that yeah just just like breaking um x application beats it, it, it just it just all kind of just it snowball from there and perhaps we'd have we'd have like a little um like a, trying to put a little i don't know make a slight change to a to a housing uh, to a to someone's property and maybe that could be like they want to put a fence up or something and suddenly that becomes the most uh the most objected to planning application just because people can i'd love to see this sort of um, <laughs> almost become a sport you could have a, you could have betting you could have all kinds of stuff on it so yeah um i've gone down a a road with that one so uh, but hugh what what's going on what's um what's the, what's the latest on the the golf club um rachel i know you made some good points but i'll come to you on on that one in just a moment so the application has been submitted to reading council um it's a 260 homes on the bit of land because if you remember the course is split into two yes. uh, between reading and south oxfordshire the the plans for 260 homes are in and being commented upon i think they've got 1100 comments um most of which a very high number of which are objections um and the fear is very much of first, first of all this development on its own and the impact it will create on pepper road and um, places around where where the golf course is um and also that there is this kind of fear of the un of the future as well in that the um the this bit in south oxfordshire is much bigger mm. and um there could well be another application in the future for housing on there it depends on right this is going to get quite local councilly but every council has something called a local plan which sets out all their um in very basic terms sets out the sites for uh for where housing is going to be so if you you Tom Canning owned a piece of land that you wanted to build housing on, you'd submit that to the council for consideration 
for housing. Say 260 homes, they're ha- they're most of it mostly houses rather than apartments like you get in town. So yeah. people say the usual sort of assumption from uh, on housing developments is two cars. So you got a new to housing development, 500 plus cars coming out onto that. I went down there to to uh, take a picture of the um, of the golf course the other day, and that road next to it is it's it's not it's not a great road if you've got a huge amount of traffic coming out onto it that mm. could create problems i'm sh- uh, I'm, I'm fairly sure down the line there'll be there'll be infrastructure improvements uh suggested to cope with the traffic generated but yes people are not happy about it so it's, it's worth um it's worth pointing out i think the uh, the developer in the golf club insists that land is currently planned to be converted into a country park for people living in the new homes i presume that is the the south oxfordshire part of it they are talking about converting into a country park um but people have raised a series of objections including loss of an outst- area of outstanding beauty and making the already horrendous traffic worse rach this is right up your street literally isn't it i think yeah um is it, a concern, is it a concern for you as a as a as a, as a local resident? Uh, yeah, I think it would be uh, because uh, a number of reasons. I can, I mean, I can see it from the sort of corporate side of things that that you know, if the the owners of the the golf club want to sell and it's private land, they want or need to sell. They've got to sell it to somebody, haven't they? Yeah. And the developer wants some open land to build houses on, which. The government are always telling us we need to build more houses, so there's some land to do it on. However, yeah, Sorry. the um, you're right. The the road, I think the road that it's on uh, is the one that goes all the way through Chalkhouse Green to to Kibble End, which basically turns into a single track lane as you go down it. Um, so that would need work, quite significant work, to to make it accessible. Um, with schools, doctor surgeries, um, on top of the traffic problems. I just, I can't imagine, unless they're going to build those kind of facilities in as a part of the the, the development, um, it's just going to put a huge strain on what's already a bit, yeah. bit stretched, particularly, I, I mean, I'm just thinking around the doctor's surgeries, um, that you know, we already lost a surgery um, a year or so ago. So to have more people trying to get into the ones that remain is going to be an absolute nightmare. Um, and I don't know whether people in South Oxfordshire are, are allowed to put objections in for this part of the development because it is um Borough Council's bit at the moment, but. You know, we've talked plenty of times about the um, the third bridge and you know the, the impact traffic wise that that would have on traffic coming from north of Reading down through the town through Cavshan Park and so on and this would only make that even worse so they sort of go a bit hand in hand those two things really for me yeah so in answer to your question, yes, uh, people in South Oxfordshire will be allowed to comment. And um, certainly, if 
the goss I get from my source at Sonning Common Parish Council, who is, is a good close source of mine, uh, they're very much discussing it and they're very much concerned about it as well, even though it's not in, it's in, it's in ready. Um, and the other, there's loads of parish councils around this part of the world um, who are all very near there. So Kidmore End, uh, Dunstan, those sort of tiny little places all will be affected by it. So they'll all be discussing it and they'll all be submitting to, if they haven't already making submissions to the council. Um, so uh, I was going to make another point there. Oh yeah. Uh, developers generally are very keen on golf courses because they're, they're very la are large areas of privately owned green space that could take a lot of houses. Uh, we saw it over in Bretnell in the, um, with the, uh, Blue Mountain Golf Club, yes. which is now, which is uh, becoming a big housing estate. It's there's, almost there's... complete, I would say. I think that. And, um, yeah, that so was that was a bitter wrangle. And there's a massive one planned in Maidenhead as well for the golf Maidenhead Golf Course mm. as well. Um, that's, very I think that's a thousand. I'm not quite sure where it is, but that's a, I think yeah. that's around a thousand houses. Cool. So, building on <laughs> building a thousand homes on a. Uh, very large area of land in Maidenhead is going to lead to lots of very, very expensive houses being built. So, so it's happening. It's happening in a lot of places. So um, we'll have to see how this one progresses. But yeah, there's a lot of opposition. Yeah. Um, move, just moving on to uh, to something else. We've obviously had the uh, news from the government that um, restrictions are going to be tightened. Um, I must admit, uh, and I'm not. I'm not doing this to be. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to make any sort of point. I must have, but I haven't really paid all that much attention to what the new restrictions are, other than that they're going to be tightened and um, we're not really allowed in each other's houses again, uh, as as far as I can see. But one concerned reader of Berkshire Live has been in touch um, to 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 kind of highlight that there does seem to already be some panic buying um, with some bare shelves in in Oxford in Oxford Road Waitrose. Uh, this week, which is obviously you know something we don't really want to see. Um, I think if I learned anything from the last lockdown, it was that um, panic buying doesn't really get you anywhere other than just having a load of stuff in your house that you don't have anywhere to put. Um, stuff was available generally. You had to go without certain things, but um, I, I, I just... I certainly won't be going and panic buying anything. Um, I don't know about you, Rach. No, it all got a bit silly last time, yeah. didn't it? And I can, the only people that perhaps I could see that that would be an option for were people who were having to completely self-isolate yeah. and couldn't go out. Um, you know, a lot of people were struggling to get delivery slots from the yeah. supermarkets and things. So you can understand them getting nervous yeah. and stockpiling. To be honest, we... I did a fairly big shop at the, the beginning of the last lockdown, like tins of mm. stuff and, you know, non-perishables, pasta and rice and things. Um, but I just continued to go to the supermarket, certainly less frequently than I would do normally. And I've, I still do that. I might go every two or three weeks rather mm -hmm. than weekly. Um, but it was never a never an issue really i think if just everybody that can can continue to be sensible about it and sort of share the goods yeah. if you will because that's when it gets to be a problem if somebody goes in and buys 
all the toilet rolls and yeah great that's going to last you for six months but now <laughs> joe blogs over here hasn't got any yeah i think it's, it's a bit it's... selfish so people need to bear in mind people need to bear in mind that we're not actually under the same lockdown as we were before no, no. <laughs> the, the point the government is doing pretty much all it can to stop that that full lockdown with with um schools closed and businesses shut down and all that sort Please of stuff don't. and uh, and you can go to supermarkets as you would do normally and uh and uh, the supermarkets are saying we've got plenty of you know there's there's no pro there's no supply problems um so there's no need to do it um so i mean there were sort of rumors of a second lockdown being introduced which might have led to a few people doing this and hopefully now if that hasn't happened it might just stop but um you don't need to you don't need to uh to do it really no so i think my my favorite uh my, my favorite quote in this in this story from the uh, the anonymous shopper was uh, crazy behavior from selfish people surely they haven't got through their last stockpile yet um, hmm. just what what would you stock stockpile if you could oh god nothing in particular <laughs> i just almost i was make sure that there's like enough staple you know tin tomatoes and things like that in the cupboard but you can't stockpile fresh no. fruit and vegetables Twig so twiglets grapes and twiglets twiglets yeah i, w I was thinking I'd, I'd i'd stockpile those uh those, those i keep getting these uh walker's crisps that are the really really spicy ones that say they're great with beer i'd stockpile a few bags of those i think that would be my uh mm. that'd be my thing i really like the um the jalapeno cheese ones they're uh oh, yeah those they're are nice good cheese um, <laughs> stockpile cheese <laughs> yeah we, we believe we went to the farmer's market a few weeks ago and we've still got so much cheese from then so um okay uh hugh we'll just this one's a bit more of a huey one you have discovered something it's not quite reading based but i think it's interesting enough um that uh you you wanted to just briefly chat about it um, yeah. it goes on this sort of familiar familiar line of uh things being recorded uh, or filmed in in Berkshire and Reading in particular. This, as I say, this isn't quite Reading, but it was interesting nonetheless. You're huge. You want to take up the story? Yeah. So it's if we're being very generous, it's got a link to what I might call the Greater Reading area. In, <laughs> right. And uh, it does involve someone who comes from Twyford, <laughs> which is about as great a Reading as you could get. But I think people from Twyford say they live near Reading, so. <laughs> so that's that's fine so this is the sci-fi classic which i think we've all seen alien i have not you've never seen alien no oh my gosh wow I've seen i saw it once times. and then was too scared to see it again <laughs> <laughs> which She's considering the film is as old as me is quite amazing <laughs> that it's when was that it? 1977 it's a, it's a wartime oh. film Gosh. 1979, yeah. Ah, 79. When Rachel was. I only just move on. You just move on. Don't. Yeah, don't move even, on. Don't even. <laughs> I so, Hugh, even on. brought that up. I just teed myself up for getting ripped to pieces, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, Hugh, what's, 
What's going on? We better not upset Dame Vera Lynn anymore. Come on, let's... Um... <laughs> <laughs> now, right, so, yes. So, uh, Alien, um, set in outer space on a on a uh, on a uh, spaceship not slough not slough no. no but the uh, the link is uh, have you ever heard of bray studios no no it's very famous um in the village of <laughs> bray uh, <laughs> it's it is actually very famous <laughs> um it's in the village of bray which is between uh, sort of windsor and maidenhead um where the fat duck is funnily enough and um there was a studios there and alien the the sets some of the sets for alien were actually made there and some of the space scenes um were filmed there and they were they were made by this uh, this guy called brian eek who uh lived in twyford so there's another berkshire link to this sci-fi classic but the best berkshire link for me is Rach, you'll be familiar with the scene in Alien, where the alien burst oh, out. Of wait, John... that's all you need to say. The scene. The that... scene where <laughs> the it burst scene. out of John Hurt's stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Pretty grim. This was according to this book, which is called Bizarre Berkshire, and it's an excellent book. Um, it's Two Rivers Press, which is based in Reading, bringing this story back to Reading effortlessly. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it's not in print anymore, but you can't get it. But there's. Two Rivers Press is well worth a plug because you can get all sorts of excellent, quirky books about Reading from it. Um, so we're going back to Alien, the bit where it bursts out of his stomach and there is a lot of blood. Um, that's fake blood, as used in films. But if you look, examine closely, there's also a lot of guts as well. And those guts came from an abattoir in Slough. delightful so bringing bringing uh ridley scott's extraterrestrial horror space universe to the affluent village of bray with just a hint of blood and guts from slough um and that's why alien has a link to berkshire um i got very excited about this because it's it's I've watched the film for ages, actually, yeah. um, but it's a it's a classic film, and I can't believe you haven't seen it, Kenny. Are you going to do this thing now? Whenever uh, you're watching, I do this all the time, and it really irritates my wife. But when um, when that's when you watch that film with with someone else here, are you going to now go? Oh, do you know where uh, do you know where that blood came from? Yeah, those guts, John Hurt's yeah. guts. Yeah. yeah, it does hurt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the most recent time I did that was. Um, uh, we were watching Fighting with My Family and uh, I I pointed out that that was filmed in Harmon's Water. Yes. So. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. I read about that, the scene in Alien, I read probably in your article, Hugh, um, that the cast didn't know that that was going to happen. Yeah. And then suddenly John Hurt's innards are not in anymore. And <laughs> they're, they're out they were just that their horror is genuine and that somebody yeah. actually passed out. So my thought on that was first of all, that's really interesting. But secondly, that means that the scene in the film is a one take scene as well. Because if anyone if yeah. anyone messed up, they would have had to do that scene again and be fully aware of what was going to happen and presumably patch up old John Hurt and put the thing back in his stomach and all that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> so, uh, so it was one, one scene and it's a memorable scene. But um, 
what's nice is that according to the book is that ever for the for the filming and design of everything is that everyone there is a tremendous sense of camaraderie amongst all involved in alien to uh to go the extra mile and make it the classic that we all that we all accept tom no two-thirds of us lovely yeah um that is it for part one in part two we will be chatting with john luther the artistic director at south street art center segueing nicely from one artistic piece to another the big interview Hi, everybody. Uh, I am back with John Luther, the artistic director at South Street Art Centre in Reading Town Centre, or just on the verge of Reading Town Centre. Um, it's a bit different. Last time I spoke to you, John, we uh, we got to sit in the, in the, one of the lovely uh, venues within South Street, uh, and and we had a we, I know we had the whole place to ourselves and a bit and a big stage, and it was great. A bit different now. We're doing it over over video. So, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes. And uh, we were just having a bit of a quick chat before before we got started, and it, and it seems like you've you've been kept busy, um, despite obviously having having um, uh, no 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 sort of shows to to put on or worry about at the moment. That's cr- that's right. Yes, I mean obviously since the sixteenth of uh, March, we haven't had a single show. Oh. So um, so which has been very strange. So you say that we were sat in a venue on our own that time. I've been sat in a venue literally <laughs> on my own for quite some time now, which is um, a bit of a spooky yeah. experience. And a theatre is not a theatre without audiences and people, so it's been been quite difficult. But um, yeah, initially I was really busy because, of course, we had to cancel or postpone lots of shows. So I had this massive piece of work to contact all the artists and promoters yeah. and agents that I deal with and, and rearrange the shows if possible to new dates. Then we had to contact audiences and tell them the new dates and hope they would change their change their date, uh, change their you know roll with the punches and go with the new date. Yeah. And a lot of that was moved at the time. We moved everything to the autumn. And then <laughs> that became quite obvious that that wasn't going to happen either. So I've, I've uh, quite a lot of my program, I've actually moved twice, which is, yeah. um, which is quite frustrating, quite difficult. A lot of work for, for no, no, um, no benefit, really. I remember you uh, telling me that there were also some sort of rented office spaces in, in South Street. And so I presume those have been empty as well. So um, the initial part of, part of lockdown when the uh, advice was to work from home, yeah, that, that everyone worked from home. Um, but once the advice came that if you it, you can go back to work, some of those, um, those uh, tenants did return. I mean, we have these lovely little small startup businesses and mm. stuff, so they're all like one-person shows or two-people shows, and they have their own spaces. We closed all the shared spaces, so um, yeah. it's... So, that, so some of those businesses have returned kind of in June, July time and uh, are based there. We have all sanitising stations. We've, we've put some measures in to make sure they're all safe. Um, and as we've returned to work as well, um, which is only in the last couple of weeks, um, it, you know, we were all keeping our, our own space, <laughs> like keeping away from each other. Yeah. So it must be what, what sort of, I, I suppose, because I, I, I guess at the moment, as, as we're talking, we're, we're doing this on, on Tuesday and there's further announcements to come from the government by the time this goes out. And we will probably know a bit more. But are you, are you sort of thinking at the moment you might have to move everything again for a third time? Well, um, so there were, there's two things at the moment. Right. Um, we have got some arts council funding which we're very excited about and um, mm. we have a number of resident artists at south street that we have made shows um 
specifically for Reading audiences over the years, which have been very successful. So um, we chatted about what our response might be. So we got some Arts Council funding and we are making these two shows specifically with social distancing built in uh, for small audiences at a time. And we'll be make uh, we've just put them on sale. Uh, I can talk about a little bit about them in a bit. But um, they are, um, one is going to happen outdoors at Palmer Park Stadium and one at South Street in a specially built environment, which will be COVID secure. Oh, wow. So, those things we feel even though the, the the information coming out from governments at the moment is that you know they're going to tighten some of the rules we think those will still conform with the restrictions and be able to take place and happen however south street as normal i don't think is going to be able to happen until the restrictions are lifted so we'll just have to look to see if there's any other alternatives but you know it doesn't look like we're going to be coming out of this anytime soon so until the the restrictions are lifted completely social distancing is lifted then i think south street can't act as normal so and i guess kind of around the country and locally as well i'm, I'm thinking specifically of, of maybe south hill park in in bracknell but places like that other art centers have have sort of almost been um, audibly struggling what, what's the situation with south street what's the kind of is there a danger that it that we could lose south street is there i don't want to i don't want to kind of go down a road of necessarily you know giving everybody bad news but it what's the situation with with south street and it's and how it's kind of set up well so south street is a council run venue so we're directly run by reading council and um, along with the hexagon so we're yeah. kind of like the little brother of the hexagon i suppose and um and uh, as far as I'm aware, the council are at present supportive. We've got an application into the um, Culture Recovery Fund, the government's fund, which is being administered by Arts Council. Um, so that would really help things. Yeah. But obviously, I mean, I'm just a, a humble officer. <laughs> um, the councillors are going to be, um, you know, they're, they're going to be facing quite a difficult budget position and decisions will be made at some point about how they uh, resolve those budget positions. So nothing is, um, we're not a statutory service. No. Um, so I don't, I don't think I could sit here and say South Street is definitely okay, but it's fact that I've also not been told to the contrary that yeah. I think if at all possible, there's a lot of love for South Street. And I think if, if um, it, you know, it'll be one of the last things to go if it has to, you know, it'd find a way almost. Um, so what what i guess have you what have you been kind of it's in that kind of period because we we talked about you had that lull what have you been working on when when i spoke to glenn dinning at, um blue collar a couple of weeks ago he said actually it was a chance for him to have uh, some time to kind of just reflect and get you know kind of get himself back together again after kind of almost a, a slog for four years a sort of a loving slog but a, a slog nonetheless so what, what where what's your position been in in all of this where you have you had a chance to kind of uh, have a grand plan a vision for the future or, or are you just sort of uh, whereabouts are you john Oh, well, well, um, yeah, so uh, as I say, initially, I had a whole load of work doing recontracting mm. shows, but it did obviously drop away. There wasn't the same kind of intensity. I am there a lot with shows, liaising with artists and all that kind of stuff. So all that kind of part of the, the job left. So at first, I am um, uh, the council's response to the pandemic was to 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 announce uh, or to um, launch uh, the one Reading Community Hub, which, um, amongst other things, um, delivered food parcels to shielding um, vulnerable adults. So I got involved with that. So I drove a white van for a little bit, moving um, <laughs> around with food parcels for people. And I had chats with some of the some of the people in, in Reading. And um, it did, did lead me to contemplate and think about what South Street's role is in in the 
larger Reading community and how we engage with audiences. And we have done things, we've peppered in things over the years where we've worked with, for instance, we made a show about the cricketer Gordon Greenwich, who, um, West, very famous West Indian mm. legendary cricketer who went to school in Reading. We found out that and we decided to link up with the Barbados and Friends Association and make that show. And that was really successful, but also a really beautiful thing, that, that connection with that community. So I, I have been thinking very hard about how we connect better with our communities and these two shows that we're trying to make now with some arts council funding very much trying to connect that as well trying to reach out so one of the shows is about cycling and we're trying to we're putting it at palmer park stadium and we're we're reaching out to some of the cycling clubs and people involved in cycling so um so i think it is important that although one of our roles must be to bring the best talent mm. um, from around the country that go to all the arts and other art centres in the country, make sure they're, they're on Reading. Reading is on the map of those national tours. I think that's still important. It's also nice for us to maybe, you know, to be able to create some work specifically for Reading audiences. So um, I'm definitely kind of motivated to... Um, to do that more yeah I, I i absolutely see what you mean I, I don't think you've been the only person driving a white van around reading and i and, and it's, it's it's great to hear that, that lots of the communities kind of dug in and 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 that kind of thing and i suppose i, I see you're, you're quite active on twitter and i see you you're busy kind of going you know getting stuff and highlighting independence and all that kind of stuff around reading what, what's kind of in terms of things that you've maybe discovered during this this lockdown period and, and what can what what parts of reading have really come to the fore for you well i mean i without uh, bragging I've, I've always done independent shopping yeah, and yeah. Uh, supported independent restaurants so um but it has felt like a very important thing where you put your money, where you place your money is almost a political decision. Mm. But certainly if we want to come out the other side of this um, awful um, situation and be able to go to a Clay's or a Geo Cafe mm. or a Fiddy Bob um, or buy beer from Siren Craft Brew or Double Barrel and all these wonderful independent businesses that we have, Grumpy Goat, who we do a festival with every year they're wonderful yeah. people and these businesses need our our pounds you know they need our money and so um you know how you decide to spend any disposable income that you have and i know it's difficult for some people they may have lost that disposable income but if we do if we're in a privileged position you know just need to think about where we spend yeah. it at the moment because it's really important um, just thinking about sort of the, the 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 future, like a positive future for South Street Art Centre. Then, are there changes that um, kind of because we've we've seen a lot of people doing stuff online, doing kind of online shows and stuff like that. Is there are there parts of that that might come into the future of South Street? Do you think is is the is the technology there? What 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 do you think about that kind of area of of um, of sort of this, this the way things have changed? Well, it's interesting. So uh, a lot of digital content went. Uh, a lot of live theatre and, and live performance did create digital content to put online through the summer. And we supported that where we could. So when where artists that we love and have a relationship with South Street were doing some of that, we promoted it and helped them get an audience, which continues our, and hopefully gets our audience to continue that relationship with our artists. So when we bring them back into the theatre, that, that links up. So it yeah. makes sense for us to do that. So we've done quite a few bits like that. Um, However, I mean, the, the one thing that I love theatre and live performance uh, about is the fact that you sit in an auditorium together. Mm, mm. It's not just about the obvious one where the, the performance is live, you're seeing it with your own eyes and with your own ears. Um, it's the fact that you watch it as a community together in the same space and you laugh together and you cry together. And all these things are really important. I mean, football, audience yeah. 
chance. You know, they always the fact that they chant together is is a communal experience that that really makes it important. So I think that's the same with theatres. You know, sitting alongside other people is so important. So I think digital content is great as an add-on. As a and and one thing that is wonderful about it is that there are some people that can't make it to theatres for varying reasons, from anxiety through to obviously physical disabilities. Yeah those kind of things so so digital content is brilliant for them and being able to reach out beyond our walls is fantastic but i don't think it replaces the live experience and the communal experience so we're what would be nice is the um the experience and knowledge that people that are gaining from live streaming and and bringing digital into the Mm. experience of making making performance work if we could do both you know so yeah and um, one of the things we're doing with these two shows we we put into the bid to arts council to have a filmmaker as part of the creative team so both the shows will be filmed hopefully film every performance and be able to edit something together that's really strong and um, and two weeks after the shows have finished their live performance they'll have a digital afterlife so yeah. we'll put them up and um, we're working with reading culture live which is run by reading uk who put a little bit of money in for us and um so we will we, uh, providing they come out okay, which I'm sure they will, <laughs> um, we will put, post them up and give them a bit uh, a further life after they've concluded their live runs. So I think that's a nice way to do it. It's kind of a bit of both. Best. Yeah, best. that's 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 really quite exciting. That there's almost like a a digital archive afterwards, and there's you know I, I guess there's possibly potentially some sort of extra revenue stream there for 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 the local arts with with some of these productions. That's absolutely it. There's definitely a bit of extra revenue, which is, which is all good because we we need it all at the moment. But but most importantly, it gives that extra reach to people, particularly at the moment. They're for anxiety reasons. People may just go, I see that you're doing it really safely because we are, but but still, for me, I've got to stay at home. Yeah. And that would be fine, of course. So if we can get the product to them, that's great. Do you do you think when kind of theatre and shows and gigs start to come back, do you think it's going to be because I've seen, with, especially with sort of local football, where, where where I spend a lot of my time, there has been a bit of a surge in in attendance. Um, do you think there's going to be a big surge of of a return to theatre, or do you think it's going to be a bit more trickle, depending on kind of what's going on? Well, we're living in this this era, aren't we, where we keep using the one word unprecedented, but this is yes. so unprecedented. So for, <laughs> But part of me thinks there'll be there'll definitely be people who are desperate to come back. Mm. And so I think there will be. But equally, on the other side, there might be people that are still a little bit anxious and still a little bit worried and want to see how it plays out. So I don't know whether those two things will counterbalance each other, balance each other out and be normal or I, I don't know. But I certainly think once once everything settles down and everything feels totally safe and we're back to normal, um, then I think people will come back in their droves for live performance because there's nothing quite like it is there seeing things in the flesh in reality with your local community i mean it's been really interesting as well that there's um there's a there's a lady on tiktok who uh, i don't know if you're familiar with with tiktok i'm certainly not but it was a link i was sent and it's a it's a west end performer who's got a who's sort of during lockdown taken a job in uh, tesco I can't, i'm not sure which tesco it is in reading but she's really good and she does all these uh, little videos about um how working at tesco was like her west end musical career and i just wondered are you familiar with any any kind of performers or any people that you work with doing any sort of uh, uh, the the sort of i was going to say sort of normal jobs but i kind of you know the these sort of um uh these 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 really important roles to keep keep everything keep everything going are you familiar with anybody doing anything like that well i i i don't i'm afraid i'm sorry <laughs> i'd love to be able to say 
I mean, the, the only thing I can say is that, that I drove a white van for, uh, for about three months. <laughs> but, um, no, I'm sorry. I, I don't know of any of our performers that have done anything. I mean, loads of them, of course, have improvised online and done bits yeah. and bobs, you know, but, um, but that's doing their, their normal job just online. And I guess just to just to finish off then, um, given that all of these these things that you've had to kind of cancel or or push or postpone or, or push around, what 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 are you? Which one? What what event? What gig? What what uh, what play are you most looking forward to actually being able to finally get on at South Street? Oh, that's a that's a really tough one. Um, I, I, there's a theatre company that um, that I saw at Edinburgh last year, mm-hmm. um, who are a favourite of mine anyway, and they played South Street with previous shows. That um, that were due to come in April, we pushed them back to October, and we've now pushed them back again to March next year. I think is which we're so hoping we can finally do. Yeah. Um, there's an expletive in their title though, so I don't know if I can say the say the name of the theatre company, but um, they've made this show called. Uh, uh, the theatre company's name, Drink Rum with Expats, and it's a show about how they went out to Malta and went to this English pub that where yeah. all the expats go, and they chatted to them about, you know, the, the EU situation, the migrant situation, all that kind of stuff. And they made this really anarchic, funny, but also really punchy show about certain situations in Europe. Yeah. And it was so good, and I really want to share it with my audiences because I know how good it is and how much they'll like it. <laughs> but um, but it's due to happen in March, and yeah. who knows? But I hope we can we can make that work. Yeah, Fing- fingers crossed for that, then, John. And um, thank you ever so much for your time, John. I really appreciate it. It's a um, pleasure. If uh, anybody's interested in helping or supporting South Street during this, is there any way they can do that? What what can they do? Yeah, we we have a membership scheme, which um we're, we're um you know we have a lovely wonderful kind of membership and uh, that just it's 30 35 pounds a year you in better times you get benefits like you know discount at the bar and discount mm. on ticket certain tickets and stuff like that but i mean a lot of our members has continued to support us by continuing to renew their memberships um, and even some new people buying them so if you wanted to that'd be a wonderful way that you could support us and and show that there's an audience the other side that we can rely on where can they go and do that so they go on to um, whatsonreading.com, which is our website. Yeah. And if you go to the South Street section, there's a membership bit which you can click through and, and, be, and you know, become a mem- member, yeah. John, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. The Big Interview. Uh, that was our interview with John Luther, the artistic director at South Street Art Centre. Um, it sounds like there are going to be uh, a few things going on, a couple of uh, sort of socially distanced productions coming up, which is which is very exciting. Um, I know uh, last week we did discuss briefly, although I think I had had to edit it all out, uh, about gigs we were looking forward to. And here, if I remember rightly, you said... Uh, in fact, no, I can't remember at all what you said, but you did mention Danny Baker for about the fourth time on this podcast. It's not what we're looking forward to, it's what we've been to. Oh, yes, that was it. Yes. Yeah, Danny so, Baker, yeah. One of the unheralded geniuses of our time. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read his book? I've read a few of his books. Going yeah. to sea in a sieve or something I've like not that. read that one, no. I've read one about, he wrote um, about one of his football books, and I've seen all his own goals and gaffes videos. <laughs> I was going to say, if any, I think this was his autobiography. I don't know if there are any youngsters listening, but he was also the Daz Man for a while. 
<laughs> he was, yeah. Oh, yeah, now I know, yeah. <laughs> the Just going back to the challenge. filming locally thing. Yeah. Um, Hugh, I don't know if you knew this um, because I'd, I'd read an associated article about other things filmed in Reading and noticed that uh, the old Midsummer Murders obviously makes an appearance in that article because it's quite a lot filmed. I can no, tell you a shop in Son and Colin that's featured in Midsummer Murders. That's and, what I was going to say. Yeah, and I, I can send you a picture of it as well. I was supposed to use it. Oh. Was that before or after you arrived? I think, I think it was after we arrived. Um, yeah, because mum yes, was watching the film. Yeah, someone was murdered in the uh, in the mower, mower bit oh. where the mower replacement gets done. <laughs> and there's there's uh, pictures of like the detectives in Midsummer Murders browsing the uh, the hardware. <laughs> when does our sponsorship check arrive from uh, Heath and Watkins? You, we never said the name. Oh, that's true. It's you. It's the He's, made He's made me do it. <laughs> Heath right. and Watkins, Tony Commons, finest hardware store in the south. <laughs> Really awkward. The uh, the the hangout that we're on chose that moment to slow down, <laughs> just as he was saying, saying it. So there we go. Um, but it looked good to to Hugh's partner who was listening to him say it. Uh, so maybe she'll get she'll get yeah. the checkbook out. Some brownie points. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we will move. People on. don't use check checks anymore, Tom. It's it's twenty twenty. <laughs> I didn't say checkbook. Anyway. Um, moving on to this week's random question. The random question. Uh, this week's random question. Uh, we were struggling, um, but we. Uh, well, uh, my wife spotted on social media that I think it's Qantas have launched a flight to nowhere where you can go and. Um, jump on a plane, fly around for seven hours and do a bit of sightseeing. And it just got me thinking. What? Yeah, you, what do you mean? Right you go there. up, Ayers you Rock, go in a loop and come back. It's like a seven-hour trip or something. Fly around Ayers Rock. People are paying for that. Yeah, apparently. So one of the fastest-selling um, uh, flights in, in the airline's history, I believe. Um, so that peculiar. is a flight not just a means of getting somewhere. Well, no, this this had added, added sightseeing goodness. They were deliberately kind of flying around Airs Rock or Uluru. It's, it's like, a, it's like no, an airborne trip. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, you can have. I suppose it's a bit like a, a, a yeah, a, a tour bus, but a tour plane. So, um, so it just got me thinking. Where uh, would you like to go on a flight to nowhere? I'd be. I I will start you off. Um, just by i always love sort of when you come back in flying over london and picking out all the landmarks so that's sort of that's the sort of thing we're looking for um what what would you reckon oh well similar to that that every time i fly back from anywhere because i live in the heathrow flight path as do the majority of us in reading <laughs> I always think, oh, God, when we're flying back in, I want to look out and see if I can see Reading from the air. Never have. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's nothing quite distinctive enough in the town to sort of pick it out. I don't know. But it's always quite nice flying over the south coast. Maybe take off, do a loop of um, 
yeah. I think where I was coming back from when we flew over the Isle of Wight and it was very obvious that that's what it was <laughs> and it looked really cool that's cool with the needles and everything um Windsor that would be quite cool oh yes that would be good I, I think the only the only sort of issue with this sort of sightseeing thing is what if you sat on an aisle seat you've got to lean across three people oh to, that's true that's to see anything out. what if it's cloudy yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. Too. that too um here have you got anywhere you wouldn't mind uh having a little look at from the air um i'm trying to think where where in the world is visually spectacular i imagine these, these planes in australia are not flying very high if they're um uh if they're doing sightseeing because like you say if you get in a lot of planes you go above the clouds so yes. you can't see anything i don't um, I you think only, you like... only go on you only tend to see landmarks when you're you know heading down yeah um i've always why um why remember thinking it's sort of visually quite spectacular is um when we went to sri lanka and we um we stopped off in oman right uh to, to change change flights and um like we went to Oman in in the winter, but it's like one of the hottest in the Middle East is proper hot. Mm. And uh, just the, the way everything there, you, out the window, you can see how incredibly different the whole way of life is there. Just um, from from the window of the plane, you know, all these white, all these sort of no grass or anything like that, and uh, white houses. Um, it was just quite kind of fascinating just to get a glimpse of, of that. Yeah. So those kind of places in the world where everything is incredibly different, but they'd have to be either naturally uh, spectacular or, or sort of, you know, these sort of urban areas, which are completely different to the, this part of the world. I think that might be quite interesting, which doesn't really help. But, um, especially, mountains I think, are always cool to Mountains are cool. Well. Volcano, a volcano might be quite cool, but it might be quite mm. frightening as well. And clog up the, uh, clog up the engines and the plane as well. Um, but yeah, not. I think Berkshire probably wouldn't be the top of the list of um, or beautiful as it I feel is. A bit I'm not sure. I feel like I didn't know we could go further afield. I thought we were trying to keep it Reading based. But yeah. So where in Reading oh. would you like to see from the sky? The turbine. The river. above. Yeah, the river. The river be all right. Uh, Maybe the football stadium, that'd be quite interesting to see from... The turbine yeah. would not be interesting from above. It's just, it would look like a dot, wouldn't it? It's just a pole. Holder. Right. <laughs> uh, oh, man, shall we bring this to a conclusion? Yes. Can I um, do just very quickly give a shout out to, talking of oh, man, Mr. Paul Mann. Yes. Who, after... A few weeks ago, talking about the doom and gloom and misery of being a Reading supporter, Reading sitting proudly at the top of the league after two games. He must be very happy. Hey. And we maybe just hope the season ends now and Reading somehow win the league and everything will be great. Unbeaten, <laughs> <laughs> the only team ever to be promoted. Unbeaten. <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. Um, here is Jeremy with how you can get in touch with the show. Get in touch with the team. Email hello at realreadingpodcast.co.uk. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at realreadingpod and join our Facebook group by searching Real Reading Podcast.
Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, that is quite enough for this week, don't you think, chaps and chapesses? Oh yes. Yeah, I think so. I'm all chatted out. I'm, oh, yeah, I'm all oh, chatted. Yes. I'm all chatted out. Um, we are obviously still looking for people to speak to someone that would make a good interviewee on the show. Uh, if you have any suggestions, please do get in touch via Facebook and or Twitter. Um, if you have a moment, please give us a rating uh, and a little review on your podcast app. Um, we'll be back next week for more Reading Geek podcast goodness. Bye. 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 You're listening to The Real Reading Podcast.